Welcome to Headlines. This is Yeshua Wolf, and I have the covid of sitting in tonight for David Lichtenstein. By way of introduction, I serve as the Manal of the Bezdin Beis Avad in Lakewood, and tonight we'll be discussing contemporary Bezdin issues. Joining us are of David Grossman, the founder of Beis Avad, and the, the Roish Beis Avad, and he'll be discussing what specific types of cases come before Bezdin, the trends in the types of cases that are frequently coming before Batidin now, how a Bezdin differs from an arbitration panel, and how unnecessary Dinitaria can often be avoided by taking certain steps. We'll be joined by Rav Yaakov Simititsky, a Dayanim Beis Avad, and he will be discussing specifically how matrimonial cases are dealt with in Bezdin, and how matrimonial cases differ from commercial cases in Bezdin's dealing with them and handling these types of cases. Besides for that, Rav Simititsky will speak about how Shalom Bayi's situations are dealt with in Bezdin. In addition to the two Dayonim, we'll also be joined by two from professionally secular trial attorneys. We'll be joined by Mr. Baruch Cohen of Los Angeles. He's a trial attorney whose best advice to his firm clients is to have their disputes resolved in a Bezdin as opposed to a secular court. He'll also be discussing the role of a trial attorney in Bezdin and many ways in particular that a Bezdin is different from a secular court. We'll be joined by Gary Snittel and attorney in New York and New Jersey. Gary's going to discuss if a Bezdin has the ability to disallow representatives such as Tayanim or attorneys and to insist that parties to disputes in a Bezdin be self-represented. Is that something that a Bezdin can do? Gary will also discuss if in instances when a Bezdin may go beyond their legal jurisdiction and do something like issue a siruv or dina or make any other negative declaration against a person who's in violation of halacha, or if a rabbinical body in a town would do a similar type of a thing, do they have to be worried about being any kind of liability for libel or slander or causing economic or social damage to the person whom they are making the declaration about? Interestingly, Gary has been involved in a number of these types of lawsuits. Besides for that, Gary is going to discuss how many times in Bezdin a toyin and a secular attorney, a trial lawyer, can both work together parallel on the same side and discuss the roles, the division of roles, the division of duties, and how the two work together. It's important for this show so we make a small legal disclaimer and that is that any of the views or opinions expressed by the host or any of the guests are not for the purpose of providing legal advice but are simply for information purposes only before we go to our guests a quick thought on the parasha the parasha begins by so rashi asks the question that why What's the Ayrichis of the Pasuk, Pinchas ben Alaza ben Aaron HaKoyin? Either the Pasuk should say Pinchas ben Pinchas or Pinchas ben Alaza. Why does the Pasuk go to the, the trouble of saying Aaron HaKoyin, of Pinchas' grandfather? So to answer this question, Rashi quotes the famous Medrash. The Medrash says that after Pinchas' Maisa Kanois, that the Shvatim initially admonished Pinchas, and they felt that perhaps what he did was improper, and they attributed what Pinchas did to his yichas from his grandfather Yisroi, who in his early days was an Ovid of and looked down upon what Pinchas did. For that reason, the Torah said, no, Pinchas ben Eloz ben Aaron HaKoyin, that what Pinchas did is attributed to his grandfather Aaron in the Yerusha of Midas, which he received from Aaron. And indeed, the next Pasuk says, that the Midah Kineged Midah of what Pinchas did was he was promised from a Baruch Hu that he will have Shalom. That 
the action of what Pinchas did was from his Midas of Aaron, who, ha- who encompassed the Midas and personified Shalom. was an Oiv Shalom, Veroidiv Shalom, and indeed Pinchas was received the gift of Shalom as a reward for what he did. So the Briskorov famously points out over here that it seems interesting that the Midi connected Midan, the reward that Pinchas received was the reward of Shalom. How does Shalom relate to Amaisa Kanoi? So the Chsam Soifa says there really there are multiple aspects of Shalom. The iron was a Ohiv Shalom and a Roidiv Shalom. And Taka, Amaisa Kanoi says not so much, so much shaykh to the chiluk of shalom of uh, oyev shalom, but in fact, what shalom has to do with with this oyev pinchas is because it pinchas was a roidiv shalom. That he had a yusha from Aaron of being a roidiv shalom. That sometimes the pursuit of shalom is not through passivity. Sometimes the pursuit of shalom requires more of an action, as was the case over here. So, in tying this into the theme of our program tonight, there are many times where a person in their life, in the pursuit of shalom, the correct thing to do is to look the other way and to be passive, and certainly not to make a mountain out of a molehill, which is you know a common tendency of, of the way people react to certain situations. But there are times when the pursuit of shalom requires an action, and where issues and disputes actually truly do need to be resolved in order for there to be shalom. And I hope that through our program tonight and hearing what our guests have to say, it will be more clear to all of our listeners when they, and if they ever are in a situation where the pursuit of Shalom requires more of an action, how exactly and where is the right place for that to occur. Joined by Rav David Grossman. Dayan David Grossman is a Talmud of the Philadelphia Yeshiva. He learned Chesh Mishpat for over 10 years in Eretz Yisrael and received his Yodin Yodin as a Dayan in Yushalayim. After serving as a Dayan in Yushalayim for a number of years, Dayan Grossman relocated to the United States. Recognizing the Jewish layman's obligations but limited familiarity with the applications of halacha in the workplace, Dayan Grossman founded the Beis Havad Halacha Center as the Center for Study and Practice of Monetary Jewish Law. The Halakha Center has helped educate thousands of Jews as to their rights and responsibilities under this code of living and continues to service professionals and laymen with their financial needs through and through their best. Welcome, Rabbi Grossman. Thank you very much. Yes. So, through the course of this program, we'll be hearing and have heard from several attorneys who relate to a Bezdin in many respects as a forum for arbitration, because that really that is the the legal framework under which a Bezdin functions. But of course, to us, a Bezdin means so much more than just a forum for arbitration. How exactly does a Bezdin differ from a typical arbitration panel? Yeah, so all right, I'm assuming you're talking about a secular arbitration panel. Uh, you know, there are there there is a little uh, an array of different different but they din. 
and exactly, you know, how, I guess the word would be elastic, how, you know, how much flexibility they have. Typically, you know, in AA or arbitration, you know, there's one focus. The focus is you know, settling this dispute in front of in front of the the, the arbitrators, and uh, you know, just getting some type of resolution so that that everybody can go their own way. You know, the, but they didn't. You know, at least I can speak for our Besden. You know, we try to take very much the 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 entire picture. I mean, the Besden has a function, obviously, to settle disputes, or to negotiate disputes, and try to settle and you know arbitrate resolution. But, you know, especially when it comes to family issues, you know, when it comes to monetary as well. But, you know, the, the Besden takes the whole picture into consideration. Like, like our Besden, in many times, you know, our practices, when, when uh, you know, a litigant, a plaintiff, a, a Tevea wants to send us mana, you know, a lot of times they feel like just, you know, there's the, we're talking about two people that have a relationship. For, for a long time, and just sending a husband out of nowhere will, will uh, you know, escalate the dispute, and will, will, it'll be very hard then to to reach a, you know, to some type of negotiated agreement, of Pshara, you know, and, and the, the, the Young's mandate, and the, you know, the Torah calls upon anybody settling disputes that to try to be a fasher, to the Pshara is really kind of is that even though, but they didn't, you know, or have the have the, the power to, to issue a psaq, but to do whatever they can. You know, the Gemara says, "Stalker Mishma." David Amalek used to try to you know, do do stalkers. You try to try to be mefasher first. So, you know, many times the Bezim will, will call a litigant and, and find out, you know, which which Bezim they they, they want to go to, how they want to resolve the dispute. If there's a rogue maybe that knows the two parties, you know, it's, it, uh, you know to try to take the, the whole picture into consideration. And then, you know, if it's a if it's a marital dispute and there's the children involved, you know, there's shown bias, and you know, the Bezim will never go forward on a on a on a get on a divorce unless somebody signs off that they tried everything they can to. To uh, you know, to, to settle the dispute that uh, you know through shalom bais, through rabbanim, therapists, or whatever is necessary. So you know, it's a uh, it really it's a uh, the best really coordinates many different aspects of of a uh, of a dispute. Shalom bais, the children's mental health, you know, the the schools. Uh, it's, there's, there's so much involved. The community, you know, what would what would mean if if the child would have to move to another community? There's a lot that goes into it, and it's really. You know, the Besan is really, uh, you know, trying to get a full resolution and, you know, a full family picture and take everything into consideration. So, you know, there's a lot more effort given, effort put in than just arbitrating dispute and coming to a, to a pshara, to a, to a psak, to a resolution. Um, right. So it sounds like that what you're saying is that, you know, where... Whereas maybe in secular arbitration, it would be very transactional. The parties would just present their sides of the story before the panel, and they would write the answer on a piece of paper, and that's pretty much the beginning and the end of it. Whereas a Besden takes a much more broad approach at times, you know, looking at different aspects of the situation, trying to, to work towards the best best resolution. But you had discussed a number of different types of possible cases. If you can please elaborate on the types of the specific types of different disputes that, that come before Bezdin. Yeah, so it really it's Hakolofi Maklaimavishaita. I mean it, it really depends on the on the the place and the the, the market. You know, there's, there's so many, you know, very there's so many different uh, disputes. Like I, I, I had you know practiced I own as an Um, you know, and it's stroll is a very big doggish on I would say maybe a large percent of the disputes have to do with in this case Shainik. People lived in live in apartment buildings and they live on top of each other and, and you know, everybody's uh, you know, every, every little thing affects so many people around. You know, so we'll have 
you know, maybe 70% of the entire show have to do with this fish training. Like, the people are, are, there's less of a stigma. People go to Besden, you know, for, for, for smaller issues. You know, here in America, I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten many this fish training. Just uh, sometimes the yeshiva is moving into a building, yeshiva is moving into a community or a shul. You know, somebody's building a pool next to his friend, and there's a shallow who can put up the gate. But like by and large, everybody has their the shatak, and people have have a lot of room. And it's almost known as fish training. You know, in Eretz Yisrael, it's it's uh, is like more more of the could be more of a day to day process people that's that's just stigma people have a you know are you know, it's less of an expense people have more time and they you know the, the giving up a day's work is maybe not as as not as prohibitive as as it is here so in Eretz Israel, there might be it might be more routine, you know, for people to go to to Bezdin than it is here. I mean, do you think, based on what you what you see and how you gauge the the current situation in America, knowing the volume of cases and the types of cases coming to Bezdin, do you think that there are about the right amount of cases coming to Bezdin now, or do you think that there should be more cases coming to Bezdin? Yeah, I mean, it's the the, the volume and we've seen it in our Bezdin. I, I think in the last few years, about the volume of our of the dignitaria that have come to our Bezdin, I think. Triple. It's just the, the more education that there is out there, and the more you know, people are aware of Cheshir Mishpat, and the more trust that they have in in, in Bezdin, and and you know, it's just it's growing and growing, and you know, the the Bezdin volume is is definitely much more, you know, much more than it was even three, four, five years ago. Um, we actually have a you know a small claims a free small claims division that people come you know for free and just to settle the shilos that, 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 that they have between one and you know we never we cannot never see people coming for you know less than a few thousand dollars you know for them to take off a day's work and then the, the and you know, a lot of people just settle the disputes if they're small enough they, they make up shar by themselves and they they settle the disputes that way you know we haven't uh, it, it just takes more more out of people to come to Bezdin. But uh, it was definitely a rise in the in the volume and the, the amount of cases that come to business. Right, so you would see that you would say that it seems like that there is you know a, a strong awareness about the obligation of a firm to litigate before Bezdin, and and there are a significant amount of cases coming to Bezdin, which is certainly the case here. Um, you had mentioned some like one more point, like here, you know, many times, sometimes you find it's like the principle of the matter, which you know people. Machlokes brings that out of people, and it makes people be get stuck on on you know some nice smaller issues. That once had a you know an entire family that uh, got torn apart in, in, in the entire of a Yerusha, you know the entire Yerusha was like it was eighteen thousand dollars, and Mamish they you know the the siblings went forth and they they the Mamish couldn't make show them, and uh, the end of you know really the family got torn apart. You know, over something you know insignificant like that. So, you know, so that 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 is definitely part of it. And, and when you asked about about the different dinitera, like what what types of dinitera, we find a lot that it has to do with you know the market. Like a in a in a hot real estate market, you know, you'll have people coming. Everybody's trying to you know hop the better deal, and people you know. We have a lot of onyamahapas, but so Shilas of one person who's in, who's in the middle of uh, pursuing a deal, and somebody will will, will take it away. The bar mitzvah Shilas that come up in a, in, a, in an area in a time of inflation. 
when there are a lot of opportunities, then a lot of there's a lot of competition. So then in those situations, we have the dinatari related to competition. Right, right. And then inflation. I mean, yeah, we have like nowadays so many shilas of landlords that are trying to raise the rent and they have to become a whole, you know, huge shila because every single, you know, apartment there is available is a, is a, is a tremendous demand for it. And, you know, everybody's trying to get the higher rate. You know, I heard now in Eric's stroll, they just made it to Cronenworth. You know, you can't. They're trying to make they be misattered, but the, you know the deers, the apartments in Israel are through the roof. It's like impossible to rent anything. And the you know, same thing here. We have when it's you know prices are up. The contractors we had so many a few developments you know, here in Lakewood and otherwise of of people who promised to win at the contract at a lower price, and then the cost of materials and the cost of labor went up so much that they were going to lose money and they're trying to back out. You know, there's a whole industry of you know, employees, the poaching employees and trying to get the better, you know, tremendous labor shortage. So, you know, we, the Dinatera really have a lot of relevance to the, to the market and we were able to see market trends through which types of Dinatera, like in a cool market, people try to back out of real estate deal because they're, you know, the, the, the price are going down. You know, it goes really with the, with, with the market, you know, that's a, it's really a reflection of the Dinatera that come. But of course, you know, people, would like to avoid dinatayra, and they want to try their best always to stay out of bed. And, you know, I hear many times, I don't know if this is really a mile or not, but I hear many times people tell me, you know, I was never in a bed in my entire life before. So whether that's a good outlook or a bad outlook, but certainly people want to avoid disputes. So what would you tell someone who would ask you, what can I do to make sure that I don't have any disputes and no one takes me to Bezdin, and I won't be required to take anyone else to a Bezdin. Right. Yeah, so, you know, in regards to the first thing, the first item that you mentioned, like people who are, you know, said they never went to Bezdin, it's, you know, it's definitely a beautiful thing if a person could really, you know, settle issues on their own and, and uh, you know, be Michael, and they don't have to adjudicate a Bezdin. Many times we find that, you know, people saying, I never went to Bezdin in my life, but they still, you know, harbor the resentment from ten years ago that they got into a dispute and it was never settled. And they, you know, they just, they just, they, 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 they can't get past it at all. And they're just very happy that they haven't gone to bed. And you know, that's definitely a, a negative thing. You know, if you can't get past it, the, the right thing there is a bed for a reason. The right thing is to to settle it in a way that you that you're happy, you're comfortable, and you move on. But so that's certainly assuming, you know, when disputes occur, then, you know, they should be handled on the basin. But how would you tell someone who wants to avoid a dispute altogether and make sure that, you know, to to pursue shalom and that they shouldn't be in a situation where they have to go to a basin? How would you advise such a person? Obviously, all the, the even the Chavetz time and all the... Everything they suggest that everything should be, be in writing. One thing that I that I've, I found is... You know, let's say you know you go into a partnership, you do this, you do a deal. You you know you have you write down the terms. Uh, you know, my suggestion is that the person should write the, the partner should write down the terms right away. I've found that quite a number of times where partners were and you know, they just went into it. They started the business. They started some type of arrangement, and they you know they they were winging it at first, so to speak. And then they you know, two three years into the partnership, they they realized that you know they decided let's write a partnership agreement. And through writing the partnership agreement, they they realized that they're really on different pages with with regards to a lot of items. You know, one was working more than the other. He, you know, he really wasn't doing his job. And, and through trying to document and trying to figure out, you know, what this partnership represents, the, the partnership ended up ended up uh, 
having to terminate because you know they tried to you know they really weren't on the same page so it definitely suggests that right away in the inception you should uh, you know get everything on paper and, and sign it obviously you know in many cases the paper is only worth you know the worth as much as the people standing behind it but uh what's important is to 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 put in there a proper dispute resolution clause in a manner where you know where it's it's defined where the where if there's ever a difference where it's going to be adjudicated because that's really a lot of the battle is, is just getting to the proper venue and uh, you know really schleps out and really you could drag out any type of contention contentious situation. Uh, but so you'd advise people to have the foresight, you know, before entering into a partnership or any other commercial transaction that they should. They should try to clarify all the terms of their agreement, which will avoid any kind of confusion and any dispute, ho- hopefully making that a entire will not be necessary. But it's also important in such agreements to add a dispute resolution clause. So in the event that there is a dispute, it will be handled efficiently and, and get um, before it in quickly without too much expense or otherwise to make that happen. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, when, when people go into a relationship, when they go into a partnership, usually everybody thinks everything's going to be, you know, nice and peachy, everything, everything's going to work out. And at that point, it's really easy to settle, settle items because no one really knows, you know, a certain clause, who it's going to be better for. It could work out better for one or better for the other. It, it's not defined where everybody stands. So everybody just agrees to something that makes sense. And then time tells, who, you know, who that clause, that specific clause will benefit. And that's just like, a, you know, that's a failure of what we did. But uh, but once once it's, you know, too late and we, we see exactly, you know, where this where these clauses are headed, you know, then, then it becomes a, a, a contentious situation. It's really very hard to, to, to mediate, to settle without, without really blowing up. Certainly excellent advice. Thank you very much, Mr. Grossman. I'm joined now by Yaakov Yeshua Semetritsky. Semetritsky is a Talmud of the Panovich Yeshiva. He spent seven years learning in Brisk and then went on to Fleischmann's Koyal Dionis in Yerushalayim, a very prestigious Koshava Koyal Eventually, Semitsky it became a Muslim of the and in 2016 moved to America to Lakewood, where he's been a, base, a dying a base of ad since. Semitsky has published many memoirs on all different topics and recently put out the first chalik of Shalos Vichuvis Tagit Liakov on Abel Salkish Lhanach. Welcome, Semitsky. Shalom, welcome. So. During the course of, of this program we're having, and we have had a number of interviews and guests that can speak to all different aspects of contemporary Bezdin issues, Dinei Taira, from different perspectives. Um, obviously, you're involved in a very, very wide scope of different types of cases, ranging from all different types of things. And I was just wondering if you can explain a little bit the differences between a commercial case, a Cheshemish Bezdin Taira, and a matrimonial case in each entire in terms of the setup, how things work, just any differences that you think might be worth noting. In most of the stuff, it's similar to the concept of Shomer Ben and being Yashuzdik and all those kind of things. There's no difference in between having Chishmish Ben and having The difference in between them is Chishmish Ben when it comes to a dying. What he has in front of him is from Simon Aleph and Chesh Mishpat to Tafkavov. You know the Shachanol finishes Tafkav Zayim, but the last one is Yifas Maike. And basically, the answer for every 
kind of the fish in is to the toys and sieves, sman, shark, and the other nesukadim. Yes, we know this is mitzvah lefasha, but even even the pshora is uh, in most of the cases it's a it's a pshora and the din plays a very big role in it. However, coming to Evnezer cases, it's not so much the shchonoch in Evnezer. It's like the Ramo brings down in Evnezer. It's we look at it, we them, we look in custody. The Teva say alodim. The Shalom Bayis is still looking the couple. It's more the fifth shchonoch than the actually the Evnezer shchonoch. For this reason, Bezm dealing with it, it's not so much as the facts also a lot of times coming in front of the person because it's more, and a lot of times it's the person's research, who was involved, how was involved, what took place, what didn't take place, what's benefit for the kids in the future, and this big picture is always the the, the way that the Ionim get to the decision. Again, like I said, so it's not so much the Shukhanoch inside, it's more the fifth Shukhanoch, and that's the big difference in between Having a Kushmishput case to have an Azar case. Right. Okay. So there's a number of um, important points that you mentioned there, but just to help bring this out a little bit about you know the um, complex nature of, of these specifically of these types of cases, Semitsky many many times is is very often busy with divorces. Semitsky is very sought after in New Jersey, all over the the country to help mediate and to deal with a dying with divorce cases, this is very, very often what is doing. At the same time, you can come into the Bezdin at all hours of the day and night, and if Semititsky is also busy with couples dealing with Shalom Bayes. And it's not that we have a side room somewhere in the Bezdin with a therapist's couch, that in this room of Semititsky deals with Shalom Bayes, and in the other room of Semititsky is dealing with with divorces, it's in the same Bezdin Stiebel with the gavel and if Semititsky's chair dealing with the divorces and dealing with Shalom Bayes. To me, this sounds like a, a steer, a tremendous contradiction. How exactly can that be? And then, like every couple coming into the room, before knowing what the situation is, I do tell them that what we do in this Bezdin is Shalom Bayes. There's two ways out to do Shalom Bayes. It's either a way from doing Shalom Bayes as staying married, or there's a way from doing Shalom Bayes as being separated on divorce. When I used, when I, at the beginning, when I used to start dealing with it here in America, I used to ask the couples coming in if their parents were divorced or not. And the statistics then, in the old days, was in a very, in, in a crazy way, the, 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 the percentage-wise from couples getting divorced based on the parents being divorced. And, when I, and looking into it, the answer to it was simple, because a kid, they never saw parents acting to each other in a nice way, in a regular way, speaking, asking something nicely, and being answered in a nice way. The kid is copy-pasting, and that's what he's doing as far as going, and is, uh, as far as he's going, uh, continuing his own life. But I was tell, tell it to every couple, meaning that that's the way it is. It doesn't mean they're staying married, is going to be the solution for it. And it doesn't mean that being divorced is going to be the reason doing it, that that's what the kids are going to see. Because staying married and having a crazy home, that's what the kids are going to see. And having being divorced and having a peaceful divorce is also going to be, you know, some way, some kind of picture for the kids that the two parents can get along and they can speak to cover to one to each other. Again, 
if, if looking into it and getting a case and the whole benefits and the whole way we look at it is in a way from doing it so what's good for them and what's good for the kids. So either you get a case for Shalom Bayes, you're getting a case for divorce. If you look at it in such a way, the way I said it, it's basically the same kind of uh, right, so it sounds like what, it. So it sounds like what I, if I understand correctly what you're saying is that you see yourself as a facilitator of Shalom. Sometimes Shalom could mean Shalom Bayes, but sometimes Shalom could mean Shalom without the bias. Correct. Right. Okay. So if you can elaborate maybe, you know, a little more on that, you know, specifically, obviously, Yosemitsky is a tremendous Talmud but does not have any um, PhDs, any degrees of, of that sort. So so what exactly, how, how are you able to deal with people in overcoming these issues in Shalom Bayez without being a therapist, without being a, any kind of a doctor? I would, the answer to the follow is like this. I don't look at myself as a therapist, and when there's what to do with Shalom Bayes, I don't sit with the couples and guide them in a week in a weekly session or like this. The only way, the only thing we could do is look into it and see the way the case was was looked into it, was taken care of, seeing what the issue was, and the opposite way, we send them to the right people and. Hopefully, based on the data we have in the basement from dealing with many cases, together with, uh, I would mention, the Vicasta for Relief, Dr. Mandelman from uh, the Comzik, right often, we try to send other couples to the right help. Like I said, we don't do any Shalom uh, therapy or whatever. The only thing we do is, based on our experience, listening to the couples, see what they did till today, and try to take our knowledge or the ideas we have and them to the right places. Right. So would you say that, it, you know, just in general summarizing a lot of what you've said until now, would you say it's fair to say that many times Klesh and Mishpah cases are more backwards looking based on the Dayanam sitting and, and judging and adjudicating something which may have happened and determining the entitlement of the rights or obligations of either party, whereas uh, Isha's case, a matrimonial case, oftentimes, especially with respect to child custody and the and the children in general, um, would be more forward-looking and more of a mediation type of... I would say it in a different way. Cheshmish, but it's only back-looking. Evanazer is both. You have to look to the back, because the back usually tells you for the future, because you know what the guy did and how the case was handled till today. You know what to offer for the future. But again, like I said also, yeah, the the, the, the biggest picture is, is the future being based a lot on the back. Right. So... Um, so Mitzvah had mentioned that there are many aspects of a divorce situation. You have the spousal issues, which you know Mitzvah has addressed the shalom bayis, and there's of course the the child custody. There's the economic issues, the support, and the division of assets, allocation of debt, and whatnot. And then you know there's the get. You know how does it work when someone comes to Bezdin? All of these different things on the table. You know how does the Bezdin deal with all of these things? Is the Bezdin get involved with the get, does the Bezdin get involved with um, help pointing people in the right direction as far as getting their legal divorce or whatnot? And this kind of, and this kind of thing, usually having too many people involved is like I always say, and one of the ways I explained it always was, too many people sitting at one's house, nothing comes out from it. Having everything done on the one table, on one table, with the same uh, advice, and usually this kind of stuff in custody, child support, and everything else is related to each other. 
the legal divorce, the halachic divorce, usually, again, everything is uh, being that uh, more there or whatever, which kind of deal we do to get it done in a peaceful way, to, to go send each thing to be dealt in a domain with, with other people would be the biggest mistake. And that's the reason we try to get covered everything here under one roof and at the same time. Right. So, if you can just speak a little bit more specifically about how these proceedings actually look. Normally, when one thinks about a Besdin, it's a very adversarial type of environment, sort of like a courtroom where you have one side sitting on one, one, one side of the room, the other side sitting on the other side of the room with attorneys or perhaps Tayanin. Are Tayanim or attorneys ever involved in this process, or is this process, if you've described something that you do, meeting together just with the parties themselves? I would say like this, when Tayanim or lawyers are involved, me personally, I never try to get them out of the picture for two reasons. First of all, in a legal way, it can arm the situation, and in a in a, in a sacred way also, when a person comes with a Torian or a lawyer and he has trust in somebody, and I'm going to try to convince him something, and he's going to and he's going to do it based on what I convinced him. And a day later, somebody's going to tell him, "Oh, you were tricked. You were A. You were B. I have no clue what." And he would say to himself, "That's the reason they told me to get out of Torian. Or if I would have a Torian, I would be in a better place." That's not something that anyone wants to do with. A person has somebody he trusts. We are always more welcome to tell everyone, come with everyone you have advising you, and let's do it together with them. Because, again, I think in the, in the end game, it's helpful for everyone. Telling people to involve the Torian and to involve the, uh, a lawyer depends on the case. There's some kind of cases it's beneficial for the person to have somebody advising him because he himself doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know how to speak for himself. Some cases, getting involved with somebody can cost him all. Because again, the turn of the lawyer is not going to work for the benefits from his client when there's no case and can make a case for no case and is going to be dragged out for no reason. Again, it's always a question who the turn is and what his purpose in this case is. Okay, and just, um, you know, to, just to, to discuss that, you know, we've discussed other outside representation, sometimes the Adam, sometimes it could be a lawyer. In these types of cases, matrimonial cases, they can often be Rabbonim that the family maybe have, or sometimes Askanim, other people, relatives, other people get involved. First of all, what is your general outlook on that? Do you view that as a positive thing or as something that can be detrimental to a case? And second of all, what advice would you give a family member or and asking someone getting involved in this type of case how they can be beneficial and how they can be helpful. Um, I mean, let's face it, unfortunately, divorces are widespread enough these days that it's something that most people are going to deal with some way or another, a friend, a relative, someone in the neighborhood, and people really need to know when they become involved in these types of situations that people look to them for guidance, how they can be productive and help the situation. Like in every other thing, what's good for somebody is not good for another person. It's hard to answer, briefly answer, if, uh, how to deal with it. I don't know. Every law in every neighborhood can be different than a different neighborhood. And there's one law they have to say, yes, get him involved. And there's another law that people tell you, no, don't get him involved. It's a, it's a very hard question to answer. Again, it, it, it basically depends on each case. Who the people are, who the couple are, who the law is. And the main thing, go to somebody that knows... The dealt that deals with it and ask him then, based on the situation with this and this and this people, what should I do?
Okay, so if someone came, just to rephrase that question a little bit, if someone came to you and asked you, let's say, I of a neighborhood, that I have these people in my kehila that it looks like that they're going to have to go for a get. What can I do to help bring it to resolution and to help the situation as opposed to as opposed to allowing the situation to spiral out of control? What can I do to help? First, we'll build trust by both of them because it's not every word you're going to say is going to only cause damage. And try to stay neutral the most you could. It's very hard in issues cases because, you know, there is some kind of things that you hear from one side and the other one, and sometimes there's truth in what one side says. And if you don't know how to play it political way, to stay neutral, even when you have a day and one's up, this himself is going to cost their day later. You're going to turn to be the enemy. Again, the main thing is try to stay neutral the most you could. And if you cannot do it, don't get involved. Thank you, Semitsky. Joining us now is Baruch Kohn. Baruch Kohn's 30-year civil litigation practice includes all aspects of consumer and commercial litigation in California, state, federal, and bankruptcy courts, and in Besden. Baruch has successfully prosecuted, defended, and settled over 325 lawsuits in federal and state courts in California and over 85 Besden trials, primarily in Los Angeles. Welcome, Rebarch. Halakum Shalom. Thank you for jo- thank you for joining us. So you're a secular attorney, right? I am You've an been- Orthodox Jewish attorney, and I specialize and concentrate my practice in secular courts and in Basin. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. But I mean, you are your training certainly in your professionally. I understand you represent many clients in Basin, but you're a secular trial lawyer. So what role? I mean, you've you've participated in and tried 85 dinatoria, which is a tremendous amount. I mean, that's a lot. That's a disproportionate amount of, of cases coming to Besden for a trial lawyer. You know, what role do you have in a, in a Besden and in a Dintoyo of being a trial lawyer and not a Toyota? Well, correct. Uh, you know, I I try to avoid the term Toyin. I have found that many Bati Din discourage Toyin because of the uh, the tactics that some of the Toyin use. Some are good, some are difficult. But a seasoned trial attorney knows to put everything in writing and confirms everything in writing. For example, the Starbirurin, the arbitration agreement, which determines the fate of the case. In this, in the Starbirurin, the seasoned trial attorney will see what terms are inside the agreement. What's the scope of the agreement? That is an important issue in the event the parties challenge the PSOC and the judgment of the Bayesden later. Or, for example, the presentation of evidence. What I do when I go to a Bayesden or in any trial is I submit an exhibit folder of all the exhibits in proper sequence. You know, I've seen nightmare scenarios where parties come into a basin with a box, a cardboard box full of, you know, disparate documents. It's not organized. And everyone sits there. So you have three Dayanim, you know, lawyer tying them and the parties are sitting there while the parties are fumbling to organize their exhibits. Well, that costs a lot of time and money, and a seasoned attorney knows how to present evidence. There's also the issue of uh, extracting testimony. Seasoned trial attorneys know how to put a witness on direct testimony, how to cross-examine the other side's witness, how to impeach their credibility if necessary, which is very, very important. Sometimes the Dayanim won't know the questions to ask the testifying question. And a seasoned trial attorney will also know what is relevant to the case and what is not. So therefore, a, you know, an, an experienced 
litigator is invaluable to the whole process of Bayesden. We expedite it and courts appreciate, and, but they didn't appreciate a professionally prosecuted and defended case. I believe that more trial attorneys should be advocating Bayesden. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that, you know, I've litigated many. Yes, because mm -hmm. when I see Ruvain suing Shimon in my community, I'll approach one of the parties and say, look, Rabid, there's a halacha about going to our coast. Mm -hmm. So let's explore that for a second. So when a client comes to you because that he's involved in some kind of commercial litigation or, or whatnot, right? So your obligation, obviously, as a, as a lawyer is to, you know, best guide him in, in terms of to give him legal advice. And at the same time, of course, people have a halachic obligation to go to a bed, and there's no question about that. And yet, in your professional opinion, you are also advising clients, apparently, to go to bed. So maybe if you can walk us through sort of how that conversation goes, because that, you know, many clients of yours, I'm sure, may express hesitations, you know, about going to Besden and you having to deal with that in the context of being a secular, professionally secular trial attorney normally appearing before court, what are those types of questions that people ask and what are generally your responses to that? First of all, in my retainer agreement with Jewish clients, there's a mandatory Besden clause. And I let my Jewish clients know that in the event of a dispute, we go to Besden. And Jewish clients 99% I mean, of the time... A dispute between you, like a fee dispute or something like that. Correct. With I let them know right. up front that I stand by Bayesden. This is where I go to litigate any dispute or fee dispute. And clients, 99% of the time, have no problem doing it. And in doing so, I'm making what many consider to be a, a Kiddush Hashem by making it clear the avenue of dispute in the event of a Sikhsuch, a dispute. But when I'm approaching the topic of Bayesden whether the client should litigate in Bayesden or not, there, there usually is pushback and resistance. A lot of this stems from ignorance. A lot of people's impressions of Bayesden are formed by some of the irresponsible Jewish media that has these constant Bayesden bashing articles, and which I think is unfair because the majority of the Bayesden but the din that I've experienced were very professional, very above board, and really a pleasure to litigate before. When I hear questions like, how can you go to Bayesden, quote unquote, they are all corrupt. I go, excuse me, how could you undo that you know, community slander? I said, what are you talking about? Someone will say, well, I know of a case that uh, you know, my friend couldn't have lost the case, yet he lost. I said, was your friend the Tovea, the plaintiff? Answer, no. Was your friend the nitva, the defendant? Answer, no. Was your friend a witness in the case? No. I said, so how do you know that, quote, unquote, they are all corrupt, which is massive Lushan and slander to many, many excellent Rabbana. So there's a lot of ignorance out there. But once I, once I break through the ice and I explain, look, if we go to court and the courts are backlogged because of COVID, you won't get a trial for another three to five years. The costs involved are staggering to go to litigation, specifically regarding discovery, depositions, and interrogatories. Do you know that in Bayesden there's no such thing as discovery unless the Dayan authorizes it? And do you sure. also know that you could get a trial within months and the fees are substantially less? And you're also in the process making an enormous Kiddush Hashem. And when they hear that I'm prepared to represent them in this proceeding, and there's also some, you know, 
strategic benefits to going to Bayesian as well, not only monetary benefits, but for example, let's assume a client comes to me and you know he wants to sue uh, somebody, but the statute of limitations to enable that lawsuit to proceed has expired. Well, under halacha, there are no statute of limitations. A case can be 10 years old and the money is still owed and you could still proceed under halacha. Right, so let, example, me, well, let me dig into that a little more, you know, for, you know, you're raising some differences between Bayesian proceedings and you know, court proceedings. And, you know, this is a question that I'm frequently faced with, you know, in my office here is that I'll get a call, suppose the Bezden Center has mana to someone and they have an attorney representing them. They may be Jewish, they may not be Jewish, but someone who has no experience, no previous experience with a Bezden. And they get on the phone and say, look, my client is a religious Jew. He knows he has a chiv, an obligation to go to the entire and he's prepared to do so. But Rabbi, please explain to me what exactly is this all about and how is a Bezden different from my perspective as a you know, secular lawyer? How is a Bezden different than a court? So how would you answer you know, such, a, such a question? I explain to the lawyer do you go to arbitration on cases where you're arbitrating before a retired judge? Answer, yes. Conceptually, Bayesian is no different. These are trier of facts. These are ethical, highly intelligent rabbis, well-versed in commercial transactions, who are also eager to be fact-finders, seekers of truth. So if you're familiar with arbitration, you're certainly familiar with Bayesian. And the fact is that a contract is a contract, whether in secular court or in halacha. There might be some deviations. A lie is a lie in either court. So the evidence will always prove whether there's a contract or not, whether the party is lying or not. It doesn't really matter which forum you're in when you think about it. There's a mystique that Bayesian is some type of you know, crazy tribunal. It's not. The same pursuit of truth that goes on in arbitration and in courts is the same pursuit of truth that goes on in Bayesian. And many secular lawyers get it. And the secular lawyers who I've brought to Bayesian have all marveled at how expeditious and professional and cost-saving it is. Right. So, and then, you know, in general terms, that that's fantastic. That's 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 definitely a very very positive outlook. But more specifically, in terms of procedural issues, you had mentioned the difference of a statute of limitations, differences regarding discovery. You know, what other differences would you would you say? you know, are, I guess, key differences between a Bezden proceeding and a proceeding in secular court? Sure. There's procedural advantages. For example, what if your entire client's testimony is based on hearsay evidence? Hearsay evidence is out-of-court statements that are inadmissible in a court of law, but in Bezden, they would be admissible. Or, for example, you know, what if your case is subject to substantial relevance objections where evidence might be excluded from from uh, the ultimate trier of fact. But in Bayesian, there really isn't a relevance objection. Everything can come in. The Dayanam want to hear everything that goes on. So, you know, when uh, a lawyer is faced with some of these uh, evidentiary challenges, Bayesian could be an extraordinary vehicle towards conflict resolution. Another thing I wanted to mention is that a well-experienced trial attorney will not be thrown by the interruptions of the other side or the distractions or sometimes the name-calling that an inexperienced tie-in or lawyer might try to engage in. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, that's definitely keep interesting. The case on track. Right, I mean, that's definitely an interesting comment. You know, we definitely get questions many times about allowing Tayanam and attorneys into Bezin. And, you know, I can say that my experience with, 
The Tayanim and the attorneys that frequently appear before the Bezdin is that they're generally very professional and, and they do a good job. And, you know, all of the, the bad reputation that Tayanim have, I can say that by and large, I have not found to be the case with the Tayanim that frequently appear in Beis Avad. And um, I can say that there are unscrupulous Tayanim and there are unscrup- unscrupulous attorneys. You know, probably kind of goes both ways. But, it does. Um, it does. Do you, I don't mean yeah, to so target you, one versus the other. Right. Yeah, I understood that. I just, um, you know, wanted to throw that out. So you had mentioned, you know, that one of the roles of a trial attorney in a Dintaya would be with the arbitration agreement with the Shtar Birun. Because, of course, the legal structure which a Dintaya takes is its binding arbitration, which is how ultimately it's enforceable in court, which is extremely important in a Dintaya because ultimately when it comes to enforcement, we have to, in a Bezdin, you know, we don't have many tools, I guess, these days to enforce a PSAC, and we rely heavily upon the courts for enforcement, right? So can you, I guess, sort of maybe specifically go through, you know, some of those those issues that may be um, you know, discussed in terms of the, the Stabirun, and on what grounds could someone perhaps vacate an arbitration agreement, a, a Dintaira in court, the Ptak of a Bezdin, and a trial attorney like yourself might be able to make sure that, you know, such an occurrence doesn't take place? First, let me just tell you, Bishita, my philosophy is that I, I really never take on motions to vacate a Bezdin award, because what you're doing is you're really creating a tremendous chalashem. You're making allegations that the, you know, the only way you can really vacate an arbitration award is if you can prove improper conduct by the Dayanam, uh, whether it's improper ex parte communications with the arbitrators or whether there was a bribe or whether... Shoichad, I find this very distasteful because I'm a lawyer that wears a yarmulke in court. I find it's not something I ever want to put my name to. I want to advance the notion of Bayesden. The secret to enforcing a Bayesden award really lies in the arbitration agreement. That's the foundation. In the, in the arbitration agreement, the party should, and the Dianum should actually state what the focus of the case is. I'll give you an example. The issues to be decided are red, white, and blue. Great. But if the arbitrator should issue a PSOC regarding the color purple, so now the party has an ability to go to court to challenge the PSOC, vacate the arbitration award by saying that the arbitrator exceeded his authority and went beyond the scope of the arbitration agreement, the arbitration agreement is what gives power to the arbitration award. Most arbitrators, they track their PSOC, their arbitration award based on the arbitration contract. So again, a skilled litigator will know how to make sure that that arbitration agreement is rock solid. So again, the two major, major venues is either A, a motion to confirm the arbitrator's award, then it gets turned into an actual state court judgment, and you can rely on the sheriffs and the marshals of the state that you're in to enforce that sock. The civil code does have provisions to confirm a Bayesden award, and courts acknowledge Bayesden awards as valid arbitration proceedings. If, on the other hand, the other side wants to, cannot accept the finality of the PSOC, even though arbitration awards are indeed final and they're not appealable, and the party will do the very um, distasteful act of leveling accusations that are unfounded against Dianum, then you need a trial attorney who's had his eye on the entire file, who documented everything to be able to oppose it properly, to be able to get that motion to 
to vacate denied. So I if I understand you properly, what, motion. right? So if I understand you properly, what I think that you're saying is that in the unfortunate event that someone who loses a dentaria would want to make, file a motion in court to vacate the process. So many times what happens in many instances, if a person is not represented by a trial attorney, then the trial attorney is at a big disadvantage. I mean, I'm sorry, the plaintiff who won the dentaria and is now trying to confirm the plaque in court would be at a tremendous disadvantage trying to have that confirmed if the attorney wasn't present throughout the process because that they would not be able to, I guess, um, be sicer or to contradict any kind of the claims that the other party was raising relative to any kind of um, misconduct or whatnot on the part of the Bezin, which was usually not true. So if you have a trial attorney there throughout the process and they can certify to what has actually taken place, it will make it all that much easier to confirm the plaque in the end. Is that is that right? It's very correct. It, you know, it's analogous to going through a trial and having your appellate attorney sitting in the audience to monitor the case, so to speak, in the event that an appeal needs to be filed, mm -hmm. uh, which many, many attorneys do. Mm -hmm. um, right. So that's great. So just, I guess, um, you know, to finish off here, because this has been a very, very lightning discussion, and I really appreciate you taking the time, um, what would be, you know, the takeaway, I guess, your parting words for anyone thinking about going to a base dinner that has some kind of a dispute and, you know, is weighing the options? I think it's very, very important to go in with counsel. A lot of these Talanim who I've gone up against, again, some are excellent, some are not excellent. And you don't want to go into a, a proceeding without proper representation because it increases your chances of getting a fairer trial and it increases your chances of having a just outcome. That's excellent. Thank you very, very much, Abang, for your time. Brachavatslav, all the best. Joining us now is Gary Snitow. Mr. Snitow focuses his practice primarily in the areas of commercial litigation, real estate litigation, and matrimonial and family law. He is actively engaged in all aspects of litigation, both in courts and in arbitration proceedings before various Baltadin. Mr. Snitow began his law career as an assistant district attorney in the New York County District Attorney's Office. He was initially assigned to the Appeals Bureau where he drafted appellate briefs and successfully represented the District Attorney at oral arguments before the Appellate Division, First Department, and the New York State Court of Appeals. He later transferred to the Special Prosecutor's Bureau where he investigated and prosecuted a wide variety of white-collar crimes. After nearly four years as an ADA, Mr. Snitow worked with a litigation firm where he was actively engaged in antitrust, bankruptcy, commercial, and real estate litigation matters. Mr. Snitow was a partner in the law firm of Snitow, Kamenetsky, Rosner, and Snitow, and recently the firm affiliated with the firm of Offit Kerman, which is a full-service law firm of 16 offices. Welcome, Mr. Snitow. Thank you, Rabbi um, So let me ask you a question that I am frequently faced with from many Rabbanim asking me this question about Dinei in instances where we have one of the sides being represented by either an attorney like yourself or a Toyin or a combination of both. And what they ask me essentially is, where's where do attorneys or Tayanim come into a bezin? What may happen when you have an attorney or a Tayan is that instead of the Dayanim interacting directly with the Balidinim and trying to come to their own conclusions, each of the sides will present arguments and bring reports. You know, just to give context in a matrimonial matter with child custody, they might bring evaluations. And essentially what happens is, is instead of the Dayanim making their own determinations, they really are just acting like an umpire trying to decide which of the attorneys scored more points. So the question is, is that 
even though the Sixth Amendment of the United States Constitution provides that people have the right to representation, but that only applies to criminal matters. The Constitution is not talking about commercial matters. And to the extent that even in landlord-tenant cases, and sometimes, you know, there are nonprofit organizations that will provide um, assistance and funding for low-income litigants, but you don't have the right to an attorney in commercial arbitration. So why can't a Bezden make a policy and say, listen, we're not going to allow any representation. People have to come and be self-represented. And if you want to come to a Bezden, you have to waive your right to representation. So there are multiple uh, levels to answer that question. The first is the ability to arbitrate, which is what you're doing when you go to a Bezden, and to have that award be ultimately enforceable and to have the, the force of the law stand behind the Psak Bezdin uh, comes from the statutes, comes from the rule of, of the state and the individual states. So, for example, Article 75 in New York is the statute that governs uh, arbitration in the state of New York. Uh, 7506, subsection D, specifically speaks to the right to be represented by an attorney at an arbitration and that you cannot waive that right, that at any time you can insist on the right to count. And the fact of the matter is, is if you violate that and a Bezdin were to force parties to not appear with counsel, the ultimate award would be easily overturned, which would undermine the process of going to Bezdin. The purpose of going is to uh, be able to have an enforceable judgment that somebody could take to court and use ultimately if necessary. Similarly, in New Jersey, Rule 2A23B16 also says that in arbitration, you have the right to be represented by an attorney. And again, in New Jersey, you'd have the, a similar issue where it's likely that a court would say that if they were informed that I was not, that a party was not allowed to have an attorney uh, present at the hearing, that that entire decision or process would be vacated, uh, which would undermine the entire ability to proceed in a bezin in a manner that would create an enforceable process. Right? So the, my only on question on that is, is that essentially, but we can't force anyone to do anything ultimately before they've signed an arbitration agreement, right? And when they enter into that arbitration agreement, they're voluntarily entering into the arbitration agreement and accepting whatever terms it says in the arbitration agreement. So why can't the Besden say that a Besden will only accept the case if the parties voluntarily waive their representation or their right to be represented? Because you're not really giving them at that point the option. You're telling them that you can go somewhere else. But in essence, that arbitrate, you could do it. But if somebody were to go to try to confirm that award, which every arbitration agreement, Starburudin, has a provision that allows the party to go to court and to confirm the arbitration award, to give it the force of law, would be would be easily undermined by the fact that the parties are, in New York specifically, it's clear that the parties are not even allowed to waive that right that at any point the party could insist that they want their attorney, even if they didn't show up at the first hearing with an attorney, they could say at the second hearing, I want an attorney. And if the best were to say, well, you agreed otherwise, it's a non-waivable right under Article 75 of the uh, CPLR. Okay, so Mr. Snithow, you are a professionally, at least, a, a secular trial attorney, right? Now, as a secular trial attorney, I presume that you are not an expert in, in halacha and in chesh mishpat. So what business do you have in a bezin altogether? So in terms of, I'm, I'm a, a from Yid, um, and obviously I, my primary practice is in um, the, uh, the world of the secular court system, although I do often appear in Bate Din, but by training, I guess I am a, what you would Professionally, say, that's why I was very careful to say professionally. professionally. Yes. Right. Yes. So, so I would, I would say that. Um, so 
I believe that, um, and this goes to sort of the second point that, that you made, is that the job of an attorney or the job of uh, a representative who's assisting a party in arbitration and litigation is not just to try to score points. It, it, it's much more uh, detailed than that, and much there's, there's a much broader role that one plays. Um, and I, I don't hold myself out to be a halachic expert. I'm not an expert in, in Hoshin Mishpat. And that's why at times, depending on the type of case, I will often work with a towing either uh, when presenting to the Besdin or behind the scenes, where I will have somebody who I will consult with. In the same way I would consult with an accountant if there was a sophisticated accounting issues or other professionals in, in any matter, whether in court or in Besdin. But the role so of So what you're saying attorney, is you would be the one representing the client and acting as the attorney, and the Toyin would be more of an expert than halacha. That would be sort of the division yeah. of roles, if I understand there are, there are There are there are times there are times where I will split my role. There are times that I've appeared before in Buckingham where both the Toyin and I will be uh, representing the parties and may speak on different issues. Um, um, especially as to issues where there are issues where the Bunting did look to secular law, I may make the presentation on those issues, as opposed to where the Bunting did may be uh, dealing with halakhic issues, and sometimes they overlap, and sometimes they need both, and an analysis of both, um, to understand that, and I will work with the Toei so that we're both present. Um, so it really does depend on the case, uh, the facts of the case, what type of case it is, commercial cases, matrimonial cases. Uh, they sometimes differ in what role I play. Sometimes I will be sort of the consulting individual where the towing will take the lead role, and sometimes it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in other interviews, you know, we've discussed on, on this program sort of the when, when a Bezin operates within a legal framework, right, which is you know, it's binding arbitration. And, you know, the, and you've discussed that as well. I'd like to focus a little bit more about when a Bezdin does not operate within a legal framework. Sometimes a Bezdin may assert jurisdiction where they don't have legal jurisdiction, but they're asserting halachic jurisdiction. For instance, when a Bezdin sends a hasmana, they're asserting halachic jurisdiction where legally a hasmana perhaps has no relevance because the parties haven't signed an arbitration agreement. Now, sometimes, if parties don't respond to a hasmana, a bezdin may issue a sir, or a bezdin may issue a leitayis dina. And from the thousands and thousands and thousands, I, I know thousands, thousands and thousands, but the thousands of hasmanas that are sent every single year through, you know, between all of the din, I would say that there are a surprisingly low amount of siruvim. And the reason for that is, is because that people generally do respond to hasmana and come to bezdin, but sometimes they don't. And a siruv is very persuasive. There has been, at times, litigation involving these types of siruvim and other actions that a bezin may take, and such as slander suits and, and whatnot. So I was wondering if you can discuss maybe the legality or any kind of legal precedent related to a bezin's ability to do that. So there are, there have been, as you mentioned, uh, many at this point uh, cases that have gone to the courts related to specifically siruv, um, issues related to defamation. I litigated uh, one state court in New Jersey several years ago. Um, there's a very famous case, the Jewish press case, that goes back a little further than that, on which we relied. And ultimately, in, in my case, where I represented a dying on a Besden, uh, that case was dismissed against them for numerous reasons, including lack of subject matter jurisdiction based on um, that the decision of the appellate division in the Jewish press matter, in which the court, and, and that was in New Jersey, but there are several cases, more than more than a handful of cases in New York, um, that have dealt with the exact issue of the issuance of a zero and whether or not a court can weigh in on that issue and become involved, weigh in on that issue and, and become involved 
um, in those types of issues. Um, and, and the courts have resoundingly said that they cannot and, and will not become involved, that they would violate, it would violate the Establishment Clause. There was the Seeger, Seeger case and others um, in which the courts have said that when it comes to issues related to fee rules and, and other actions of a Bezdin that are um, not within the framework of necessarily arbitration or agreements or the arbitration process, but rather the religious process, um, the courts are not going to become involved in that. Similar to a case that was recently decided in which our law firm was involved, um, the case, um, you know, a case involving a Kashrus organization in which the, the courts also said that they would not get involved with the issue of uh, determination of Tashras and rabbinic guidance and the like. So when it comes to those types of issues, the courts are very reluctant to become involved because they see that as a true First Amendment issue. So in summary, you know, Bezdin has the ability to, and Rabbanim, I get, you know, you mentioned a case about a, a cautious issue that Rabbanim and Bezdin in particular have the right to function as a religious institution, as a Bezdin, and they're protected within their First Amendment right to make statements that, uh, you know, such as issuing a series against somebody that may negatively impact their standing socially in the community and may definitely also may negatively impact them economically. Correct. Um, and those in generally, those have, and, those, and as a Results uh, those cases when they've been brought as either defamation suits, libel suits, tortious interference with business opportunity suits, they've routinely been dismissed in the first stage. Um, that's not to say that the the courts will enforce or take actions to enforce such um, statements. They just won't become involved in them. Uh, they won't allow people to sue based on them. Meaning they won't allow the to be the rabbis to be sued um, or uh, you know other institutions to be sued based on those actions. But that's not to say that they would, for example, enforce a zero, right? Because again, decisions made by arbitration panels in general, but they didn't, are based on the signing of an arbitration agreement. The, you know, arbitration is a contractual process. Because the parties agree to that process, that's what then makes it an enforceable process. So right. when people don't agree and just a fear of his issues, so the courts may not act on it. But on the other hand, the, you know, the, the rabbis are generally going to be, in most cases, I, I haven't seen one where it wasn't, but generally, uh, you know, you can never say never, but where a rabbi would be held liable for defamation or a fear of or something like that. Okay, so now one final question here for you is that, and this is again another question that I am often faced with. Many times, Abedin could send a hazmana anywhere and really anywhere in the world, usually someplace in the United States. And sometimes a attorney for a firm client, who's a firm client will, you know, he was the person, the recipient of the hazmana will tell his attorney that he has a religious obligation now to go to a Bezdin. So, and he wants to go to a Bezdin. So the attorney will call me up in my office and he'll say, Rabbi Wolf, my, I have this client over here who is prepared to go to a Bezdin, but I have absolutely no idea what a Bezdin is, right? So I'm sure there are many differences that, that you could discuss, but if you could just, you know, say, I guess the, the main points that you would tell such a person to answer his question. So many attorneys are familiar with the arbitration process. Most uh, litigators are, are, are fully familiar with or at least have some understanding of the ADR process, the alternative dispute resolution process. And Bezdin is just that. It is the alternative dispute resolution process. It's subject to the execution of an arbitration agreement. One of the things that you um, we, we started to talk about at the beginning that you mentioned was the first part of the process is what a lawyer really does become involved in is the make, ensuring that the, the arbitration agreement covers the dispute, lays out 
some of the processes, depending on what Besdin you're in, depending on how, how thorough the rules and procedures are or how thorough the arbitration agreement is in terms of going into the various issues that may come up, um, and ensuring that it would be enforceable. In New Jersey, there's special language you need, for example, in, in certain types of cases, whether it's the Fazi language, Minkowitz language, or other, or, or other language you may need to ensure the enforceability. And that is an important point that a lawyer, a role of the lawyer plays. But just like most uh, arbitration um, before any of the significant arbitration panels, um, there's less formality generally in um, in arbitration than there would be in litigation in the court system. Um, there's less motion process. Um, those aren't the ways they those aren't the ways things are handled. However, it is a serious process. Um, obviously. You know, there are many different but they didn't, and they, but they didn't function differently and, and have a certain level of sophistication. But the but they didn't nowadays, and the, the better but they didn't for sure, are very analytical. Um, they're looking for evidence to be presented in an organized fashion, um, and that's another role that a lawyer may play. It's not just, can I come up with a better gotcha? It's really presenting the evidence to the Besden and giving the Besden the opportunity to hear the evidence in, a, in, a, in an organized um, manner. And that's what a Besdin and the Buttingdinim generally do. They want to hear the evidence. Um, but there are differences. You, depending on the Besdin, most Buttingdinim don't let you cross-examine directly. Some will let you. And that's something that a lawyer wants to clarify before going in and, and, and figuring out the ground rules. There is a level of discovery, but usually it's less discovery. So if it's a very discovery-intensive case, you need to make sure that the Besdin is aware of what you'll need. And, and may, you may want to, and I've done that, and we, we've been involved in cases where we've built into the arbitration agreement um, an understanding of, of what type of discovery may be necessary. So, mm-hmm. so it definitely process, seems like a person who is, is, is going to a Besdin would certainly be well-served by an attorney that's well-versed in that particular Besdin and in Dina Taira, you know, across all Besdinim in order to make sure that these um, you know considerations are taking into account, and everything is nothing is unknown, and everything they know exactly what to expect. That, that's absolutely correct, and and they shouldn't expect uh, you know you're just going to come in and everybody's just going to be trying to you know sort of just make peace and, and sort of this view of like you know my father who I've had the great fortune of working with for many years you know says you know you're not walking into somebody that they're just trying to sort of they're going to be very analytical about the issues before them. They're going to be very understanding, um, and they have a certain sensitivity to the community and to understanding, but they're going to be very interested in the law generally. They're going to be very interested in halacha, and, and they're going to be very interested in hearing and allowing you know, the, them to ask the appropriate questions. Good dayanim will not just allow a lawyer to you know, just make points. They will often ask the, ask the litigants to speak. They will often want to ensure that they're hearing the full story and that they're getting out the evidence and they're doing the proper analysis. Um, and that's really what you should expect when you go to a proper bezin. Um, and if you're, you know, in choose, and that's an important piece of that also is, is the, the identifying the, the you know, uh, good but they didn't, strong but they didn't, who, who hear the types of cases you're going for, whether it's a Hoshin Mishpat case or whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, family issues or, or any type of issue. That's excellent advice. Thank you very much, Mr. Smith. Thank you, everyone.